0: The NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory.
1: G'day there, my name is Dan Fitzgerald and welcome to the program this Friday lunchtime. Well stories continue to emerge from the flooding in the Victoria River District, with some communities losing pretty much everything.
2: The school uh, was flooded, Um, we've heard that the uh, health clinic and the shop, uh, all the houses have just been uh, inundated and uh, water has gone all over the top of them.
1: Yeah, that is terrible news for people in those remote communities. That flooding, it is continuing, leading to a lot of road closures in the region. I'll bring you more information on that soon. The average age of farmers in Australia continues to rise. Today I'll share with you some new data about just how old Aussie farmers are getting. And you'll also hear from country music singer James Blundell. Not because he's releasing a new song or anything, uh, but because he's having a crack at growing hemp.
3: I'm absolutely altruistic about the value of the plant. I know how good it is, but I'm ruthless, ruthlessly commercial about it. I can't encourage anybody else to grow it unless I can, until I can tell them what they can make out of it.
1: And some Central Australian Uh, producers are having a go, a small go, uh, growing their own bit of hemp. I'll bring you that story too on the Country Hour today. Plenty to come. But first off today, let's start in the Barclay where a tropical low continues to move eastward across that district, and it is dropping a lot of rain over cattle country. Uh, We've had one report in from Alexandria Station, which has reported a whopping 262 millimetres in the 24 hours to 9 a.m. A huge drop of rain there at Alexandria. Tennant Creek, it's recorded 82 millimetres. A bit further to the northeaster, Mary Vaughan is the manager at Anthony Lagoon Station, which is owned by AA Co., the Australian Uh, agricultural company. I spoke with her a short time ago about the wet week at the property.
4: We're up to 223 mil for the week. So we started, it started raining here on Monday and it just hasn't really stopped. They've been really good falls. So we've had, or good for grass growing anyway. We've had um, uh, falls of like 40, 45, 60. um, So nice steady rain, nothing too crazy um, or damaging, um, which has been really good. And it hasn't been... Overly windy or overly cold either. It's been just nice, beautiful, mild weather. So, yeah, it's um, it's fallen really well and all our creeks are full and running, running bankers. So that's excellent and plenty of green grass about um, and probably more coming, I'd say.
1: And in terms of that weather you've had for the last couple of days, um, it hasn't been too cold For the cattle, um, because uh, I know we had some concerns yesterday. Somebody raised about what it meant for cattle in that open downs country. That's been all right.
4: Yeah, yeah. We've it's actually been beautiful, mild weather. So it is like the rain is. It's a bit. It's a bit milder, low twenties for that. For while, like while it's actually raining, but it's it's definitely still warm, either sides of it. And um, and yeah, the the stock definitely don't seem to be having too much drama with it they're all had a good build up to this point as well so they were all quite in everything was in really good nick leading up to it so they've, they've definitely got enough condition and cover to, to cope if they well hopefully cope if there is a massive cold snap but it definitely doesn't look like that and it's not what we're seeing on the ground at this moment so that's pretty good.
1: That's good to hear and in terms of the rainfall um how have your neighbours fared has it been widespread across the region?
4: yeah it's been very widespread so we're we're actually we've been on the edge of the weather a fair bit um which has been i'm quite happy with that um but we around us' well, hollow to the north has received huge falls um recently, which is really nice brunettes received a great deal of rain so has eva and um and alex so we're really yeah we're everyone's getting a bit, which is really really nice to see.
1: And how do the lakes look on the place, the Anthony Lagoon? It's named after a, a lake. How are those looking?
4: Yeah. So the terrible lake is. It's. It would probably be at fifty percent at the moment. But there's a massive headwater coming down from um, Waholo. All our creeks fill from Waholo and Kiana stations to the north northeast of us there and north. And yeah, we've got massive water coming down from them. So. Um, I'd say it'll be well and truly full to the brim um, very shortly.
1: And what does all this rain mean for uh, the grass and setting up the station for the year ahead?
4: Well, we've had we've had a couple of rough years in terms of weather. Um, we've had some very very dry years, um, and it's been very intermittent and very sporadic rain across the par- across the Barclay in the last couple of years. So where we've had a wet. Um, it often hasn't been very promising for a lot of places or it's been very patchy. Um, so for us at the moment, it's, it's you know, we've been getting up in choppers to go and check cattle and check water and um, as you look around, it's just beautifully green. It's a sea of green everywhere you look basically and um, creeks that haven't run for um, five or six years here are running full um, and for the rest of, like, just for the whole region in general, it, what it'll mean for us, it'll it'll set us right up for the year. Um, we have, yeah, we haven't seen a season like this for a very long time. So we'll be having some mud fat cattle rolling around the place, and and some really fat happy cattle. So it'll be a lovely picture. We've seen a different different sort of a picture in the last couple of years. So rolling mud fat cattle is what you want to see
1: yeah that sounds great and do you think all this rain will push back your sh- schedule in terms of starting mustering?
4: um potentially we weren't really looking to start till after Easter it's a bit of a um, that's a bit of a break on the on the barclay as far as when you start up again but um, definitely a couple of early jobs that we were looking at will push back just because we can't get to them it's to it it's a nice change
1: and not being able to to get anywhere too much um how you are you locked in there at the station at the moment in terms of road access?
4: Yeah, we're pretty locked in. We we've, we've been pretty good up till now. We haven't been as cut off as some, but we are. Our Creswell Creek is a meter over the bridge um, on the Tablelands Highway there, and our Cattle Creek at War Hollow is also about a meter over. So we're um, we're fairly locked locked in to the station where we are. Um, yeah, and we're just. All the maintenance jobs that have been building up over the last couple of wet seasons, we've been hooking into them. So everything's looking pretty good and we'll just do some training, um, some on-site training with the guys to keep everyone busy.
1: And you've got enough supplies to to keep yourselves happy there?
4: Um, We should be pretty right. We we were lucky enough to get some store runs um, between road closures and some fuel runs between road closures. We've had some really... um, Really great support in our freight providers, both fuel and, and just general freight. Um, we've had some great support and great help from them getting um, stores and fuel to us on stations. So we've we've been pretty lucky there because it has been wet for quite a long time. We definitely won't run into any dramas. And what you do find is most stations, everyone's pretty good at sharing. So if, if anyone else gets a bit stuck, we'll, um, we'll help them out. And likewise, they'll do the same for us.
1: Mary Vaughan is the manager at Anthony Lagoon Station, which is owned by AA Co. in the Barclay there, um, which he says she had over 200 millimetres this week, uh, nearby at Alexandria Station. That property has recorded 262 millimetres in just 24 hours to 9am today. Uh, so, yeah, that uh, weather system has dropped a lot of rain over the Barclay region, as it continues to move to the east, uh, rains though in the Victoria River District have eased off, uh, but there is still a flood warning current for the Vic River system uh, flooding it's eased a bit at the upper Victoria River at Kacaringi, where river levels fell below the minor flood level flood level of nine meters overnight. But stories there continue to emerge from evacuees who are still coming in from the VRD. Uh, One of the hardest hit communities was Pigeonhole, a photo of which was circulating on social media yesterday showing what looked like pretty much every house in the community almost completely submerged in floodwaters. There was water up to the eaves of that small community. Uh, Gary, D- Gary Dawson is a teacher at Pigeonhole. Uh, here's his story of being evacuated yesterday.
2: Uh, yes, we've just come from uh, Kalkaringi. Overnight we, um, we were evacuated from Pigeonhole uh, yesterday afternoon um, and then uh, um, got to Kalkaringi by helicopter. A lot of rain, a lot of, a lot of water on the ground, uh, just pretty awful to look at really. As far as uh, knowing what was going to happen last night, and then we got news today that the whole pigeonhole community has been swamped. In fact, the school uh, is flooded. Um, we've heard that the uh, health clinic and the shop, uh, all the houses have just been uh, inundated, and uh, water has gone all over the top of them. That'll be the school wrecked. As far as um, all the uh, the library, the, the all the kids' work, uh, everything's gone. All the uh, Any computers that are there, uh, everything's just, uh, would be ruined by now. And um, any of the teachers' uh, work and uh, all their belongings as well. Um, I'm a teacher there, but uh, there's a principal there that's coming on a plane in a little while. And um, she's not only lost the school, but she's lost her house as well. I'm just um, on a contract there for a while and um, my contract would have been ending uh, next term. uh, But the... uh, the main people have lost everything, the, the uh, kids, the families, they've lost all their houses. Uh, the Victoria River's just overtaken it. I'm OK. I lost, a, I lost belongings as well, but um, I'm only a person that comes in there and teaches. Um, I, live, I live down south usually, but I've, I've come up to help out because there's a teacher shortage, and um, I've certainly uh, helped out for a little while but then uh, this came as a big surprise.
1: That is Gary Dawson. He is a teacher at Pigeonhole Hole School. Yeah, our thoughts go out to everyone who's uh, lost uh, homes and a lot of belongings there in the Vic River region this week. Uh, those elevated river levels are expected to continue along the Victoria River downstream of Kyakurinji, uh, Dashwood Crossing, It is uh, over 17 metres at the moment and rising. The Bureau of Meteorology says uh, it's expected to reach record levels uh, equal to the February 2006 floods. Uh, During today, uh, river levels may uh, possibly exceed The bridge deck at the Victoria River Crossing, so we're talking near the Vic River Roadhouse. I just saw a photo on the Roadhouse's Facebook page a few moments ago, uh, the water not too far underneath that bridge right at the moment. Uh, Denise, she works at the Vic River Roadhouse. Uh, She told Max Rowley she's been preparing for more flooding to come her way.
5: So we're all in the roadhouse at the moment. We're hoping it doesn't get this high, but you can never tell. There's still a lot of water coming down the river. It's still expected to rise further overnight, so it'll be up and down watching it.
6: Is any of your infrastructure there at risk from floodwaters if it does continue to rise?
5: Yeah, definitely. We're all ready. All our vehicles are ready and loaded, waiting for and parked at the front, so if we over the bridge any time through the night, we're ready to move to higher ground with um people that are here. So. We've got a plan in place.
7: And how
6: much rain have you had there over the past week?
5: The past week, I couldn't really say, to be honest. It's teamed down on and off. Today we haven't had a lot of rain, but yeah, we've had we've had quite a bit leading up to it all.
6: Have you had anyone seeking shelter there at the at the roadhouse through this wet weather?
5: Yeah, quite a few people. We've had uh, loads of people. The road's been flooded up at Skull Creek, heading towards Timber Creek, so they have been caught in the middle um, when Catherine, Road to Catherine's been under on and off, so people are just waiting floods to go down to be able to keep it moving. We've had quite a few people for two and four days stay here, so.
1: Denise, she's from the Victoria River Roadhouse. There, the uh, Vic River, it potentially could go over the bridge there at the Vic River crossing sometime during today, according to the Bureau of Meteorology. It is 16 minutes to one here on the Country Hour.
3: G'day, this is Tom Dawkins from the NT Buffalo Industry Council, and you're listening to the Country Hour.
1: Just a little update on roads now. The Victoria Highway, it remains closed at Butler Creek out to the west of Timber Creek to the WA border. And just to the other side of Timber Creek, uh, on the eastern side, there is water over the road between Bulleter Access Road and the town of Timber Creek, so please drive carefully if you are heading to Timber Creek. At uh, the Buntine Highway, it is still closed at the Buchanan Highway intersection there at Top Springs due to flooding along the road. Uh, the Buchanan Highway is closed at Dashwood Crossing. We heard well, the river is 17 metres over that crossing at the moment. Uh, the Roper Highway, it's closed due to flooding at Donkey Flat. Uh, the Stuart Highway, uh, it has water over the road at various sections from just north of Elliott all the way down to Tea Tree. So if you're travelling there, please be careful. Um, and there's also water over the Barkley Highway, pretty much from three ways to the Queensland border. To stay up to date with all of the road closures, uh, just jump on the Road Report NT website and there's a whole big long list of road closures there. It is time now on the Country Hour for a song and this is a request from Country Hour presenter Matt Brand. Uh, his dad Terry sadly passed away yesterday. Uh, one of Terry's favorite songs was Salisbury Street by John Williamson. So this tune goes out to Terry Brand. John Williamson there with Salisbury Street. This is The Country Hour and my name is Dan Fitzgerald. It is 10 minutes to one here on ABC Radio and the Northern Territory. We're also available on the podcast, on the ABC Listen app, even Channel 25 on your telly if you're in the homestead and you don't have a radio reception to us there. Well, Federal Ag Minister Murray Watt has announced the appointment of an independent panel to advise the federal government on how and when to go through with its promise to end live sheep exports. Uh, there's a few people on the panel, including a former RSP, RSPCA boss, uh, a former head of the Murray-Darling Basin, and the Northern former Northern Territory MP, Warren Snowden. Uh, last year, the live sheep trade uh, made exclusively from exports out of WA was worth $85 million. Um, Here's uh, Minister Murray Watt explaining this panel.
8: Uh, Yeah, well, today I'm going to be announcing in Perth uh, the next stage of us implementing the Albanese government's commitment to phase out the export of live sheep by sea. Uh, This was obviously an election commitment that we made, and in fact, we've actually taken it to the last two elections. Uh, And what we're announcing today is a four-person panel who will undertake a consultation process over about six months, um, to work out how and when we should implement this commitment. Um, there's obviously a lot of views in the community about how we should implement this commitment over what kind of time frame, And that's exactly what this uh, panel will now be working on. Uh, we've come up with a really good cross section of skills, including representation from WA, from agriculture, from the public sector and from animal welfare to make sure that all views are heard about how and when we should implement this commitment.
5: Who do you expect this committee to this panel to consult with?
8: I'd expect this consultation to be very broad ranging. Uh, We do want to make sure in particular that people in Western Australia have a strong say on this, because, of course, Western Australia is the only state that is exporting live sheep by sea at the moment. Uh, But I intend this consultation to be nationwide uh, and include. Everyone from farmers to processors to exporters to people concerned about animal welfare. Um, we really want to make sure that we get a good cross section of views about how and when we should implement this commitment.
0: Industry seems quite united in appealing the ban, saying it's a red line issue and that all livestock or all animal industries should be concerned about the precedent this sets. Have they got a chance in overturning the ban?
8: Um, I can understand uh, the concerns of industry and this is a big change and that's why we've already committed that we would do it in an orderly way. Uh, Both the Prime Minister and I have made clear that we won't be implementing this commitment by the end of this term of government because we know that it will take time for the industry to adjust. Uh, But the consultation will not be looking into whether we should do this we did make that election commitment. We were elected to government and now it's important that we carry out that commitment. But we're very open to hearing from people about how and when we should do this commitment.
1: That is Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt speaking there to Kath Sullivan about this new panel that has been announced to advise the Federal Government about how and when it'll go about its promise to end live sheep exports. So I'll just go through a few of those panel members again. It does include former... NT MP Warren Snowden, uh, former RSPCA boss Heather Neal, WA farmer Sue Middleton and the former head of the Murray-Darling Basin Authority, Phil Glide. Uh, If you want to read more on this story, just jump online and search for ABC Rural and you'll read there more about uh, the 25 peak industry groups from ag right across Australia uh, that are opposing this decision by the federal government that's all online if you can read it there
9: this week on landline flooding along the darling river
4: 3 years ago we were in a solid drought so we had no water in the river
9: <laughs> exactly opposite but you know that's that's living on the land and the tassie wool grower doing it her way i kind of have given up on caring about what people think that's landline sunday 12:30 on abc tv and streaming on abc iview
10: I'm Jermaine. G'day, I'm Caleb. And, and we're, we're from Territory Bees. We're out here in Darwin's rural area attending to some hives and you're listening to The Country Hour.
1: Well, it's long been reported that the average age of Australian farmers is on the rise and the latest data is no different. It shows that the average age of farm managers is now above 63 years old. Uh, Michael Whitehead from ANZ Bank says Australian ag hasn't become a retirement village and a closer look at the data does show some positive stories.
11: Uh, This graph is probably a good sign actually. Ten years ago the average age of farmers was around 53, 54. We thought that was a bad thing and we worried about running out of skills. Now we see this graph showing things at about 64. And what we see is the farmers who are doing this, by and large, are enthusiastic about what they're doing. Uh, They're in, by and large, in good health. They're the ones who've probably built up their operations, consolidated, um, excited about what they're doing. And in a lot of cases, they're part of two generations who are increasingly on a farm as the family farm uh, grows more than we thought it would.
7: So do you think as succession plans kick in on farms around the nation, we'll see uh, that graph, those numbers change?
11: Look, we might. And... This is probably in a way delayed the great succession in Australian ag uh, because those farmers, they're very fit now, but they're not going to do that forever. So in 10 to 15 years, a lot of them will retire to the sea or be off their farms. But then the way agriculture is going, we may well see the generation after the current younger one coming through again.
7: And Michael, does this data take into account a lot of, retirees who who buy a small block run a few cattle and sort of live out their days there
11: you are absolutely right this data is not perfect this data does include all farms and there will be a lot of small ones in there this data also and talking to our good friends at a who've pulled it together includes the person who sat down and filled in the farm survey um so so it's definitely there so it's not perfect data but you go to any grains conference beef conference any farmer gathering and look around and you think to yourself yep this is pretty close to the truth
7: well you've shown this graph and this data to a lot of grain growers this week what has the feedback been like
11: Uh, The feedback's been absolutely positive. Uh, At the West Australian Grains Conference, a room of 600 people nodding in agreement that, uh, yes, that average age has gone up, but also, yes, it's a positive. Uh, And who wouldn't be enthusiastic about being in grain or so many of the other industries at the moment?
7: Can I get you to elaborate a bit more on why you think the average age going up is a positive thing?
11: Uh, yeah, because it's a it's part of the change we've seen in ag over the last 10 years. Yes, the number of farms has gone down uh, largely because they've consolidated. The people who didn't want to be in it anymore have uh, probably sold out, sold to their neighbours. And their neighbours who've bought and stayed and grown and are, who are still passionate about sheep or cattle or grain or whatever industry they're in, um, are fitter than people used to be and are enthusiastically building up their operations and also as we say um, more than ever for a number of reasons their kids are joining them on the farm they're bringing back their their city education in finance in agriculture and they're also benefiting from the growth in regional towns and as the attractiveness about building to the region grows for kids and their partners that helps build up these family operations. And are
7: there any sectors within Australian agriculture that are actually bucking this ageing trend?
11: It's interesting. When you break down the figures, that's one chart there. Uh, I was looking at the dairy farmer figures yesterday and the average age of dairy farmers, uh, according to this SABES data, is lower, noticeably lower than this as well. Uh, And that might reflect a few things interesting to think about, uh, whether it's on the fact that dairy farming is a... Uh, much more physical uh, part of farming than set and forget grain or, or beef cattle can be at times, um, or whether it reflects that uh, more younger people are saying, for those who do come into dairy, um, we'll, we'll come in and do it rather than some of the older ones staying around.
1: Michael Whitehead, he is the head of Agribusiness Insights at ANZ Bank, and he was speaking there to Matt Brann about uh, the average age of farmers across Australia. It is now above sixty-three years old. We are approaching the one o'clock news here on the country hour. If you've got any questions for the Weather Bureau, we're we'll speaking to them just after the news, please send us a text on zero four eight seven double nine one oh five seven. And we always love hearing your weather reports if you've got a report if it's raining at your place this afternoon please let us know I'll speak to you in a few minutes
7: hi my name's sam Furman. i'm an apprentice at helimuster nt i maintain all the aerial mustering helicopters up here in the north and you're listening to the country hour
1: And aerial musterers, like the people at Heli Muster, they have been very busy out in the Victoria River District this week, uh, rescuing people off of roofs in a number of communities across that region. They have been absolutely flat out. Um, We have been trying to contact them, but uh, they are just too busy, as um, is fair enough. There's been a lot of people um, behind the supporting um, the evacuation of... uh, more than 700 people in the Victoria River District this week. On the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald this afternoon, uh, we are going to be catching up with country music singer, uh, James Blundell, because he is busy growing some hemp. And we'll also hear from some Central Australian farmers who are having a little crack at hemp themselves. But let's check in with the Weather Bureau now. Uh, we've got Billy Lynch on deck at the Bureau today. How are you, Billy? Yeah, good. Thank you, Dan. That's all I am. Let's start in the Barclay region um, because there were some very big rainfall totals in the last 24 hours or so.
12: Most definitely. You might have already mentioned on the program Alexandria Downs, 262 millimetres, uh, which is just extraordinary. Um, Usually at the 82 millimetres at Tennant Creek would be talking about a pretty good heavy fall. Um, there was a very intense thunderstorm yesterday afternoon and evening, which um, some of your listeners might remember we had a severe thunderstorm warning out for, for, for very heavy rainfall. That was around Rennes Springs and tracking eastward. So I think that's the thunderstorm that probably pushed Alexandria Downs into those lofty heights. Um that's where most of the rainfall has fallen in the last 24 hours, and um, or at least the heavy rainfall, and we still have the severe weather warning in place. Uh, the boundary is contracting eastwards, um, but still the far eastern Barclay, um, which incl- also includes the Barclay Highway, is um, at the risk of some further heavy rainfalls this afternoon and evening.
1: Yeah, and where is that low at at the moment, and, and, uh, and where is it expected to go over the, over the weekend?
12: Yeah, so the heavy rain and the low itself have become a little bit removed. The low-pressure system is still sitting up near Elliot, and uh, tomorrow it's expected to move uh, north-eastwards towards Boralula region and the southwest Gulf of Carpentaria coastline. Uh, by Sunday there is a chance it will move out over the, the southwest Gulf of Carpentaria and then it's expected to become fairly slow moving early next week either over that southern Gulf of Carpentaria or, or close to the coast. So um, that's our
1: expectations with that low over the next few days. And in as it makes its way into the Gulf there, um, any chances of it intensifying?
12: Absolutely, a chance, yep. And so we're kind of keeping a close eye on, on all of that. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of uh, things associated with that system to be aware of. Uh, one is that um, the rainfall you know, may increase across the MacArthur River system this weekend or next week. Um, and there's already a bit of water flowing through the MacArthur River. So uh, it is possible a flood warning may get issued either later today or over the weekend for a, you know, a minor flood along that river. And then the other thing is the the tropical cyclone risk Um, at this stage we're kind of giving it a a low what we call a low chance so between a a 10 to 20 percent risk of that becoming a a cyclone early next week Um, we're still just reassessing it so we may actually increase that risk slightly more from the middle part of next week so I guess if you live around that area just stay tuned and um, we'll be updating the tropical cyclone outlook at 2.15 this afternoon.
1: Okay, something to be aware of over the next few days. Um, but today, Billy, um, there's still a number of warnings out for the Victoria River and the Daly River. Um, what do people need to know there?
12: Yeah, so firstly, with the Victoria River, um, rainfall has eased significantly, so still a lot of shower activity, but no heavy rainfall. The river at Kalkarindji fell below the minor flood level, below the bridge. It's continuing to fall, so there's there's no longer flooding occurring at Kalkarindji but there's still a lot of floodwaters making their way downstream. Um, So that's going to take a few days to flow out of the system. There'll be further river rises. So we're maintaining a a generalised flood warning for the Victoria River. This means that we're not rating it as minor, moderate or major. We're just giving people a heads up that there's still floodwaters um, heading downstream. And I think... If you're sort of near the the Vic Highway and the the Vic River crossing and the roadhouse, um, there is the chance that there could be significant rises there over the weekend. And it's probably, well, I wouldn't say quite likely, but uh, quite possible it will get over the bridge.
1: Um, Yes, I saw a Facebook post from the Victoria River Roadhouse uh, just a short time ago. And, um, yeah, it wasn't too far under the bridge. um, Then it looked like a metre or so.
12: Yeah, and there's still more water to come there. Um, The other flood warning, of course, is the daily. Uh, It's probably at its peak now at about 13.7 metres, but, you know, it's a big river system, Um, so it's going to take quite a while for that river to start um, draining out. Um, So expect elevated um, levels in the, the lower daily system for the weekend and for much of next week.
1: Okay, plenty going on, um, and for those in central Australia, Billy, what's the weekend look like?
12: Look, sunny skies, believe it or not, there are some sunny skies in the Territory, um, so south of about Tea Tree, uh, we've got clear sunny skies down there today, it means temperatures are going to be quite hot, so in the mid to high 30s, and um, in that southwest corner on Sunday, temperatures pushing up to to 40 degrees or so, um, before we'll get a, a cool change come through on the Monday.
1: Okay, and oh, just lastly um, for those who might want to wet a line over the weekend, how are coastal waters?
12: Pretty windy Um, yeah, so marine wind warnings for for most of our coastal waters today Um, probably Darwin Harbour we won't need the strong wind warning over the weekend but it's still going to be pretty breezy and right across the north coast and down into the Gulf of Carpentaria, expect um, strong wind warnings to persist there too, so if you want to Throw a line out, maybe
1: stay on the land would be uh, my tip this weekend. Okay, thanks for the update, Billy. Thanks, Dan. Uh, it is Billy Lynch there at the Weather Bureau. And just looking at the Darwin radar right now, uh, most of Darwin and the northern suburbs uh, look like they're getting pretty wet. Palmerston as well. Uh, we had a text in from Paul in Malacca. It said it's pouring with rain in Palmerston. And he says, please slow down and put your headlights on. It's not nice out here. Says Paul on the text line on 0487991057. It is 13 minutes past
7: one. ABC Radio. Major flooding information. In Creole.
5: Major flooding in Maine, water flooding in a rural and urban area. Because my buildings are above that floor level covered in water. People, property and town, the cut off. So much water and cover them up that road. they go in and out. Railroads and roads got to be closed. You might have to go somewhere else, evacuate.
1: Yeah, for more updates on uh, the flooding in the Vic region, please stay tuned to ABC local radio throughout the afternoon. Uh, you're tuned into the Country Hour with me, Dan Fitzgerald, on ABC Radio right across the Territory. Well, uh, a well-known Territory Cattleman was farewelled in Alice Springs this morning. Chris Connellan, he was born in Central Australia and he spent many years at Nawi Tuma Station out to the northwest of Alice. Uh, Chris Connellan was also involved in a bunch of different organisations over his life. Uh, Our reporter in town there, Victoria Ellis, was at the service this morning. Uh, G'day there, Victoria. Uh, What can you tell us about the life of Chris Connellan?
13: Hello, Dan. Yeah, uh, there was probably, um, yeah, the, he's Chris has had um, a really achievement. He's done a, accomplished a lot of things in his life. Um, been involved in lots of different groups such as the Canillon Airways Trust, the Northern Territory Cattlemen's Association, the Royal Flying Doctors Service. He was born in Alice Springs in 1948 and spent many years jackarooing and working in the stock camp at Naui Tuma Station, as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, he's probably, you know, known not just in the Territory, but across Australia. He's also got a number of hobbies, photography, gliding, sailing. In 2003, after winning a battle with cancer, he bought a yacht and started a concept, Sailing for Life, with the goal of taking cancer patients and carers cruising. He's also developed a Mount seal wilderness pack. He wrote a book, a memoir, about some of his experiences of growing up in Alice Springs, and he had a deep love for the land, his family and friends.
1: Yeah, sounds like a busy life. Um, You were at the service this morning. Um, How was he being remembered by, by family and friends?
13: Yeah, so um, his daughter Samantha spoke of his generosity, strength, stoicism and resilience, while his cousin Adrian Bell remembered how Chris had taught him how to crack a stock whip and and wear a big hat, and and indeed Chris's hat was on his coffin at the service. Um, And um, he was also remembered for his uh, outrageous storytelling techniques and having a wonderful sense of humour, even in the face of his own personal challenges. Um, and he's, you know, worked hard to support others through his own challenges as well. So it's clear he'll be really missed by family and friends.
1: OK, uh, thanks for that, Victoria.
13: No worries. Thank you, Dan.
1: Uh, that is Victoria Ellis there in Alice Springs speaking about the passing of Chris Cannellan. Um, he was farewelled at a service in Alice Springs today. He died at the age of 75. It is 16 minutes past one here on The Country Hour. <laughs> Hi, my name is Remy. I'm working at a tropical fruit farm out in the rural area of Darwin.
2: We are a mango and dragon fruit grower with three different varieties, the red,
1: white and yellow. And you're listening to the Country Hour on ABC Radio. Let's head now to a hay farm in Central Australia, which has got uh, a number of big plans this year, including aiming to produce some oaten hay and even looking at growing some hemp. Uh, Daryl Troy and Tanya Walker, they've taken over management of Ulu Farm, which is about 200 k to the north of Alice Springs, uh, on behalf of the Kayson Group, which also owns Aileron Station. Uh, they spoke to Victoria Ellis about some of the plans for the property this year.
9: We've got more infrastructure going in. We've got three more pivots going in, new hay sheds and things like that that will be... Going in as well, um, so we'll be increasing our capacity to output hay for the stations around the area, um, as well as you know, Daryl wants to look into doing other winter crops so that we can help with the stations around the area as well.
6: Yeah, so a lot of the stations truck oat and hay up from South Australia, which is like $400 a ton. So we're going to put some oat and hay in under the pivots for winter because the the actual Rhodes grass will stop growing in that May June when it starts to cool down so we'll put a cereal crop in and we've already spoken to some guys so we'll try and sell it to them so it it gives us just another crop to grow to just improve what we're doing for the whole cycle.
13: And the uh, hay that you've cut recently how much demand do you think there's going to be for that considering how green it's been? Well, I think we probably started in the wrong
9: year. <laughs> yeah.
6: So it's still it's still a demand because what actually happens is, and I didn't understand it so it's new to the area to me, is that when people bring their cattle in from muster, so I think it's like that March is going to be a muster time and I think it's later on in the year they do two musters a year, so they might have 4,000 or 8,000 or whatever head of cattle that, that can't feed. So they actually buy the hay to feed the cattle while they're in that muster period so that they don't lose weight and condition. So that that will never reduce the amount of hay. There's never enough hay.
13: You're listening to The Country Hour. I am talking to Tanya and Daryl at... Ulu station um are you guys able to talk about the um hemp research that's going to be happening at some stage
6: it's it's just still in a trial we've got a, a small patch we're trialing at the moment um but it's it's another avenue where this farm is in transition to go organic at the end of the year because there's a lot of um stations that are organic and there's not enough hay for the organic farm. so. farm we're sort of on that tie line to be September supposed to be organic so we're working on that so that really confines you a little bit or you've got to be a little bit careful like if you go not put hemp in we can't go and use pesticides to spray weeds or insects in the hemp so we just have to see where that goes so we've got a little bit of a trial to see what happens with that and then we'll have to work out where we go from there.
13: And how much hemp do you have planted at the moment?
6: Oh, only a small patch in the veggie patch, that's it, just (laughs) as a try, nothing.
13: What were your thoughts when you found out that that was going to be here when you moved?
6: Yeah, look, hemp, is, from what I've seen, is one of the best building materials you can have. So um, it can grow up to 12 foot high, so you can bale it and send it off-farm as a building material, but also it can go to seed and rejuvenate itself in those paddocks as well. So I think it's got a lot of, you know... um, opportunity for it. It's just working out where we go with it.
9: We've, we've still got paddocks here that are uh, from when when it was a horticultural property that has still got dripper line and things like that. So we've got the opportunity, not just under Pivot, but in some of these other paddocks that have got dripper through them, to be able to diversify into looking at a heap of different things.
13: Are there any particular challenges with growing hemp in a place as red and sandy as this, or...
6: No, I don't know that yet, but I don't think there's any issues. I think you can grow anything you want out here, really. And we've you, got the water. You've got water and you've got seasons and you've got space, so uh, I think it's only what you really want to put your mind to and do.
9: And yeah. the, like we said, the, the thing that does limit it is well, not limit us, but it's the organic status, so we've just got to be careful of what we grow that we can know, uh, ensure that we keep the organic
6: we have discussed whether, like we've got cool rooms and all that here, we have discussed whether we put a few trees in. Um, so whether we put some limes or lemons or something in. I've got a background in, you know, macadamias and almonds and other horticultural trees. So, you know, we might do a little bit of that, not a substantial amount, but just to give another another sideline. We've got a little paddock here that's just out to the side here that's all got drip line and everything in underneath it. It's never really been utilised, so we're thinking of just putting the straight loosen in there and that might be another little avenue that we can horse just horse bales for horse people around. So,
13: so we got loosen hay, oaten hay coming up in winter, um, the hemp trial, maybe some lemon and lime trees, anything else that I have forgotten to mention?
1: No, I think that's enough, we'll work on it from <laughs> there. Yeah. Uh, it's a pretty busy Ulu farm managers, Daryl Troy and Tanya Walker, speaking there to Victoria Ellis. Interesting there about their plans to have a grow at growing hemp at Ulu Farm, about 200 k's to the north of Alice Springs. It's owned by the Kayson Group, who also own Aileron Station. Uh, you might remember a few years ago, um, Aileron had its own plans to grow hemp, um, and now potentially with... Uh, this Ulu farm and its irrigation there they look like they might be having a crack at it this year Uh, when they do have a bit more hemp in the ground uh, we'll be sure to let you know how it goes here on the Country Hour Uh, Still on hemp um, you might be familiar with James Blundell's country music Uh, he has now turned his attention to a bit of a different passion project, Industrial Hemp Uh, Alice Marshall uh, went out to his place and filed this story
0: On Queensland's granite belt, sheep graze on the hard and rocky soils. But the region could soon also be home to a booming new industry. Cannabis. Country music singer and grazier James Blundell says it's his first time growing the crop.
3: It is, with the exception of a couple of very covert attempts as of early 20s, late 20s, uh, recreational user and i learned a lot about the plant then is that if you don't look after them, they die
5: <laughs> a
0: slightly different variety that one too i imagine
3: <laughs> look all, all positive research you know that, <laughs> a lot of that uh, explained to me the values of the plant and and the fact that it is a remarkable uh, it's a remarkable contributor to Ford Commerce for primary industry
0: yeah and can you tell me how you went with this trial when did you put it in and so, What difficulties did you face in its growing season?
3: The fun part for us on this trial was we, we took a block out of the paddock. We went off the best soil sample, put a, an old disc plough into a paddock that had never been cultivated and uh, planted which, uh, what I knew was a, a very resilient plant but had no idea how it would respond.
0: Mr Blundell's trial crop was overseen by AgriFutures Australia and the University of Sydney, done to test the viability of nine different industrial hemp varieties under different climatic conditions. John Muir is the agronomist who managed the Stanthorpe trial. He believes that growing hemp alongside traditional crops is the key to the success of the industry.
14: Everyone says it doesn't need water, doesn't need fertiliser, doesn't need uh, pest control. Like anything, hemp responds to inputs, uh, whether it's organic or artificial. Um, at the moment, we, the industry, generally recommend uh, hemp to be irrigated because we haven't written a book on the dry land Um, It's grown dryland everywhere else, but particularly in our Mediterranean southern areas of Australia where it's hot, dry summers and cold, wet winters because it's a summer crop. If you're not growing summer crops on your soils and plant farms now, don't grow hemp. It won't be successful. But if you're at Narrabri on beautiful black northwest soils where they're growing dryland cottons and sunflowers and sorghum and anything winter and dry land, hemp will have a role to play. And we will work out the farming system of how to do that and maximise it, planting dates, whatever. The trouble is that we've had a lot of crops were planted dry land in the Western Australian wheat belt where no crops have ever been grown in summer and failed. And wonder why they have. Well, it's common sense. So we're now targeting areas where... Hemp where summer crops are grown and if you're going to invest in hemp, let's do it right properly with irrigation before we start risking the dry land.
0: In a recent report, AgriFutures Australia estimated that industrial hemp will require 2 to 6 megalitres of water per hectare, lower than cotton's average irrigation requirement that lies between 6 and 7 megalitres. And although Australia's production of hemp has grown rapidly in the past decade, Hemp Farms Australia CEO Lachlan Grout says it's still not considered a commercial crop.
10: It would not be at a commercial size at this point of time, um, in comparison to other um, commodities in Australia. Um, reason being that the end market probably hasn't had enough time um, to to grow or scale into something that could, could uh, allow farmers or processors to be quite profitable. Um, the nutritional markets, such as food, um, cosmeceuticals, nutraceuticals. That's definitely growing, um, which obviously invigorates the grain production nationally. But in terms of fibre and herd, um, we're seeing a lot of technologies uh, being replicated here, like we see in America and Europe, um, in terms of building and construction or bioplastics, which are biodegradable. Um, Those end markets will really push um, industries such as... um, Oh, logistical infrastructure um, and even building and construction. Yeah, there's just a couple of things that are stopping it from really getting there, Um, but from the conversations we've had with some some parties, um, there's a lot of investment going into uh, those end markets.
0: He does, however, say there's money to be made in it.
10: Per tonne um, of clean uh, and dried... Uh, seed for a for a food or a nutritional or cosmeceutical market would go for anywhere between $2.60 a kilo to $3 a kilo Um, and that will come down once scale goes up obviously so there are there is a lot of value in the product um, and the end market can afford it Um, the only issue is achieving that end product through processing requires quite a lot of upfront capital
0: back on his farm out of Stanthorpe, James Blundell has high hopes for his future in hemp.
3: I'm absolutely altruistic about the value of the plant. I know how good it is, but I'm ruthless, ruthlessly commercial about it. I can't encourage anybody else to grow it unless I can, until I can tell them what they can make out of it because you can't just chase something because you think it's a good idea. It has to feed the family at some stage of the game. So our plan is to trial again next year and in 2025 I want to utilise the the results of that trial, to uh, plant the two most appropriate um, varieties for each season, for the cold season and the hot season. So this is all, uh, this is all information and, and research that's going to a very specific purpose.
1: That is country music singer James Blundell. They're speaking about him having a crack at growing hemp, and uh, was a report came from Alice Marshall. Now, if you missed the start of the program, uh, we were talking about rain in the Barkley, Alexandria Station has recorded 262 millimetres in the 24 hours to 9am this morning. Uh, We heard from Mary Vaughan from Anthony Lagoon Station. Uh, She told us that the property is really set up for the year ahead.
4: You know, we've been getting up in choppers to go and check cattle and check water, and as you look around, it's just beautifully green. It's a sea of green everywhere you look, basically, and um, creeks that haven't run for five or six years here are running full and for the rest of, like, just for the whole region in general, it, what it'll mean for us, it'll, it'll set us right up for the year. We have, yeah, we haven't seen a season like this for a very long time.
1: Yeah, sounding pretty nice out there on the Barclay. If you want to catch that full interview, uh, you can find it via the podcast later this afternoon. Just search for NT Country Hour in the podcast app on your phone. That's it for me and the Country Hour for this week. Take it easy.